Welcome to this API workshop. Thank you for coming. And it's, it's always fun to see and meet so many new people and faces. Uh, this is the agenda. Actually, I need to get out of this way a little bit. This is the agenda we'll be following. Uh, basically, we're going to, we have various sections, right? We're going to get into what is an API, kind of what are the different types of APIs. Then we'll have you use an API, kind of like a developer might. Um, I do this to try to um, give you empathy for the user that you're writing for, the developer user, so you know kind of the scenario they're going to be in and what, how they would use an API, how they would actually implement it for a real business case. Then we will uh, switch into API reference documentation, like the endpoints. Um, welcome. Come on in. Are you Kate? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, your colleague was rooting for you. She's like, come on, Kate. I said you got Lyft driver was all turned around. Yeah, it was a little confusing to get here. I was just going over our agenda, um, but the Wi-Fi details are there. Also, I forgot to mention, the bathroom is down the hall. You have to like grab the keys hanging on the wall and, and then go down the hall. I haven't actually uh, gone down there, but hopefully it's not. Okay. All right, so after an intro to API documentation, using an API like a developer, and then reference docs, we will jump into two hot topics, OpenAPI and Swagger. These are ways that you can uh, generate the structured documentation for, for your API, the reference. Uh, we'll have lunch at around 12, um, whenever people bring food in, uh, the same catering company. Uh, after that, we will jump into conceptual topics. So things like the getting started tutorial, uh, rate limiting, other things about, about your API authorization that, that need to be covered. We will then get into code tutorials. This is how do you write basically the tasks for using in the, the API that are outside the reference docs, outside the general conceptual docs. How do you create this you know, instruction that often involves big chunks of complicated code, maybe, to implement it. Then we will transition into how to publish API documentation, which is a huge topic of interest. Uh, I've got some, some interesting new info in that section that should be good. Uh, finally, we will, I kind of want to have a time to surface people's uh, individual challenges and, and uh, other issues they want to discuss. And then finally, we'll talk about how to thrive in this space because it's, it's one thing to have an API documentation job. It's another to really um, excel in the role in such a challenging space. All right, so that is pretty much the agenda. If you have questions at any time, raise your hand. I mean, this is, I'm informal. Uh, you know, if, you, if I'm not explaining something clearly, if you want more detail, don't be shy to Basically, raise your hand and tell me. Any questions to begin with? Is this, I'm standing right in front of this thing, um, which I should probably figure out. I can't move too far away because the cord is attached there. But does this look good? Am I missing any big topics that you're like, ah, oh, I thought he was going to cover X. And you can hear me fine. Yeah. Was Postman in there somewhere? <clears throat> yeah. Postman is going to be right here using an API like a developer. And... Uh, yeah, uh, could slide it in somewhere else too. It also applies uh, in another area <clears throat> in the getting started section. Remind me if I, if I forget it, but in the conceptual topics, 
provides a really nice way to get started. But yeah, one of the things that I think people get excited about the most in this workshop is that API documentation exposes you to new tools. We're gonna to be playing around with Curl and Postman and Stoplight Studio and some outputs like Swagger UI and Redoc. And you know, if you've been working in this field a long time, which a lot of times people in developer documentation have, um, uh, you know, th this exposure to new tools and techniques is kind of fun. It's rejuvenating. You know, it's a new landscape. Um, uh, I've been doing a survey lately comparing just like trends in developer docs, and by that I mean documentation whose primary audience is a developer or, or an engineer, versus more traditional documentation that has, doesn't necessarily have that audience. And they are notably different. Like the workflows, the publishing, the sort of the kind of content you generate is very different. Um, and, and I find that space interesting. And a lot of people have different specializations. Uh, some are really into content strategy. Some are very much into you know, usability. But the API documentation space has its own just rich landscape of so many, so many areas that just uh, haven't really been covered in a lot of depth. All right, so let's, if there no, are there any other questions? Yes, Greg. Yeah, Tom, you get into like, um, auto, like tips for like auto-generating reference doc from like source code? Yeah, 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 definitely. We are gonna go, we're gonna have you uh, generate that with two different tools, or actually three, but, but the redoc is one of them and the Swagger UI is another one. Um, we're gonna use, um, I'm experimenting a bit, uh, haven't tried this before, but in order to create this open API specification, which is required to sort of auto-generate that stuff, um, we're gonna use a, a tool called Stoplight Studio. That's like a, a GUI editor. Should make it a lot easier, but we'll see. Um, about the activities, let me just say, so I have a lot of activities I do because you kinda want a hands-on experience in a workshop, right? Especially with so many new tools. Um, Keep in mind, there are people with different technical levels. So in any workshop, it, they're never gonna always satisfy everybody. Some, some of you might find some of the activities too hard, right? But at least it will give you some exposure to the tasks and how, how it works and you can go in later. If you're super technical and already experienced with some of these tools, you might find them too easy, right? So just keep in mind, you know, uh, their, their level. I always, I always overestimate some of these tasks, and in previous workshops, it has blown my mind uh, how few were successful in some of them, um, which I'll get into later. I probably shouldn't lead with that, right? But, but uh, one of them, I had people do this getting started tutorial from, from uh, we're going to do it later, from SendGrid or Stripe or can't remember which one, um, or maybe it was Twilio, one of these three email campaign companies, and out of 19 people in downtown San Francisco, only one actually did it successfully, and I could not figure out why, because I thought it was super easy. So uh, we'll, we'll see, um, but don't get discouraged if this is too, too hard. You're not expected to know any programming languages or have any kind of technical expertise, um, <clears throat> but given that you already work in technical writing of some kind, uh, you, you're probably, probably techie to an extent, right? Um, but during the activities, raise your hand and I will come over and definitely troubleshoot. Uh, it's always fun to troubleshoot different, um, different computers, different systems, different security 
uh, images and everything on their computers. So we'll get into that. All right. Any other questions before we jump in? Um, <clears throat> okay. I am recording this, by the way, and I'll give you the recordings afterwards. But uh, just, you know, don't say anything that you don't want recorded. Not that your voice will record easily, but, you know, just keep that in mind. All right, so let's jump into API documentation as an intro. API stands for Application Programming Interface. It allows two systems to interact. <clears throat> uh, very common. Oh, I was told this would happen. <laughs> so the red dot does not project onto this. Okay, but that's okay because I can just point to it. Um, let's say this is system one and this is system two. Your API is this cog in the middle that makes them interact, right? And this is the fundamental characteristic of almost all developer documentation. You have some kind of API. There are lots of different APIs, but it's basically, basically an interface between two systems. There are two general categories of APIs. One is you have one type of API, and the more traditional is a, a native library API or a library-based API. This is an API that involves a chunk of code that a developer puts into their project locally. Right? You give them a jar file or some other uh, file that they then integrate into their code and then they can call the functions in that file and use it and it gives them more capabilities. Right? That has been the traditional type of API for many years. Java APIs, C++ APIs, they're very they're all language specific. In order to work with those APIs, you have to pretty much know that programming language in order to call the functions and, and other classes in that type of API. In the last 15 years or so, a new type of API has sort of emerged called a web API. With a web API, fundamentally, it is different because instead of putting the code directly inside your, your project, the code of the API resides on some cloud server and the developer just makes a request out to it and then gets the response back, right? Instead of just making the request locally within their own you know, system, you're interacting with resources online, hence the term web. The code language doesn't matter because the requests that go out um, are kind of transmitted through a, a, a neutral format of HTTP. Right, but now there, there are lots of other types of APIs, and this is something you've got to keep in mind. Um, sometimes when people go through this course, they return to their work or they go on GitHub looking for a project, and they're like, this API doesn't look like what we learned. You know, this is different. What, what am I seeing here? And so this gets into the diversity of APIs on the web. In addition to the native library APIs, which I just talked about, and the REST APIs, which we're going to dive in more, there are also SOAP APIs. This is another web service. It stands for Simple Object Access Protocol. A lot of these, you know, knowing what they, the acronyms stand for doesn't clarify anything. But <laughs> this, is, this is an API that, that um, kind of was the predecessor to REST APIs, and it involved uh, a more exact protocol, like there was an XML format that would define the structure and it would be processed according to that XML um, structure, called like a WSDL file and so forth. Well, they're still somewhat popular, um, 
but REST has largely replaced them. There's also an RPC API, it stands for Remote Procedure Call. In this API, uh, you send a command to, a, to another server, and that server executes some function. Uh, so, you know, it's a, a lot of these are, are working in a somewhat similar way. Um, but RPC APIs have a few different offshoots. There's an XML RPC API, which uses XML, and a JSON RPC API, and then there's also a gRPC API, which I think stands for Google. Actually, I'm not really sure what gRPC stands for, but it's Google's uh, version of RPC APIs that involves proto uh, files in order to define kind of different, uh, different the way to define the way your data is is structured and how it should be processed. So you're going to see a lot of different APIs. There's also GraphQL APIs. You'll see this a lot of times at companies like Facebook or others. This is basically a type of API that uh, you just, and sorry, I kind of have to jump ahead to explain it, but basically you're querying a resource and getting back information. Uh, you don't have a bunch of different like endpoints or different request paths that you would use. It's just like a query language. Uh, so you get dynamic responses. There are IoT APIs, Internet of Things APIs. These APIs are, are APIs that work with wearables. So let's say you have um, some headset or something that communicates with the web or like a monitor that communicates. Well, that API uh, might have to be a lot simpler to fit the sort of logic of the device that might not have an operating system or some other constraint, right? So you've got IoT APIs. There are also voice assistant APIs with Alexa that work totally differently. Um, you say something to your Alexa device and uh, natural language processing interprets it and it triggers the API from the cloud to send messages to different places um, to, to somebody's uh, functions in the cloud that will process those. And so the functions in the cloud have to understand the sort of structured message coming in through, through the API. So, with all these different types of APIs, we will focus on REST APIs in part because they're the, they're the most popular, they're also the most accessible, and um, a lot of these other ones are, may not be as, as important. Um, you're not going to find as many SOAP APIs to document, although that's not necessarily true. Um, Facebook, for example, is coming out with you know, their, their own currency, Libra, and the APIs behind that, I believe, are SOAP APIs. Really? Is, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a recruiter at Facebook reached out to me and said, hey, we, we're, we want to, you know, um, we're looking for a technical writer to work on Libra, and it involves API documentation. I said, what kind of APIs? And she said, SOAP APIs. I'm like, hmm. Hmm. So it's a lot more common in financial sort of context where you have to be more exact and precise. All right, so uh, to give, yes? Will we get the slide deck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can also follow along on the slides, by the way. Uh, if you just, um, if you, here's how you get to this site, okay? If you're at ratherbewriting.com and you click API documentation course and you click workshop, then you can access each section. And, and we'll definitely be jumping into all this stuff um, so you'll be familiar with this. But yeah, uh, so 
Lots of different types of APIs. Uh, my, my intent here is not to try to explain them in crystal clear ways right now. I just want you to be aware that REST APIs are not the extent of the API landscape. In fact, they're just one sliver of it. And, and so there's lots more. If you see things that don't square with what you're learning, it's maybe a little different type of API. But fundamentally, they, they are interfaces between two different systems, right? They help your company's information interact with some third party, usually. Great example, flight booking sites. Okay, you go to search for a flight out to Seattle or somewhere, and uh, you, know, you go to Kayak or whatever, Orbitz, you type in the search, and then all of a sudden you get responses from so many different airlines, Delta, American Airlines, United. Uh, this is, on the back end, there are APIs that go out and gather this information and bring it back. Um, I mean, this Kayak site doesn't have all this information, right? Same with the way most of the web works. You have queries that go out to different information services to return the information. And this is really how um, so many companies operate, right? We, in the information economy, we sell information products and we companies get that information into the uh, consumers through APIs. Here's another example. Let's say you're watching a, you're on Fire TV, for example. <clears throat> you're in an app and you want to watch some paid event, right? Uh, you click a buy button and down launches a subscription option. Well, the subscription option is not embedded fully within Fire TV or whatever app. It's interacting with some payment site some payment processing site on a third-party server. So when you hit buy, it's gonna send details uh, securely through different API requests and return responses and so forth. This is very common. A lot of, a lot of um, companies offer this kind of payment processing and it's powered by APIs. In short, the plumbing for almost every user interface is powered by APIs on the back end, even if, even if you don't know it. And, and since you're writing for developers who are building these apps, and you're describing how they do the plumbing. So here's the core model of a web API. You've got some application, it could be in, written in anything, for example, Ruby or Java or Python, doesn't matter. And you've got a server that could also be in any language, Java, uh, C++. Um, <clears throat> the application makes a request to the server using HTTP, which is Hypertext Transport Protocol, and then the server responds with the response. So let's say that you have some kind of homes API. Let's say you're a realtor and you're looking for homes. The URI might be something like this, api.com slash homes with some parameters with a certain method, which we'll get into. And you submit this request. It says, I wanna see the latest homes. The server responds, it says, here is your message, and it spits it back usually in a format called JSON, which we'll get into, though it could also return XML or other formats. And then the application takes the information and processes it. Processes it. This could all happen in a user interface if a user just clicks, you know, show me the latest homes or something, or, or configures an advanced query and clicks search. You know, on the back end, there's an API call that's constructed sent out and the response comes back. So your job as a API documentation writer 
is to correctly define the requests and the responses. That's basically the whole job in a nutshell. Um, <clears throat> the web also follows REST. If you go to your browser, you know, every day you open up Chrome, you go to your favorite website, whatever it is, New York Times, I'd rather be writing.com, whatever, you type that in, you're actually sending a GET request to a server for the latest information at that location, at that URL. And the response from the server is provided, in this case, in HTML. Your browser's job is mainly to make that HTML look uh, readable, friendly, right? But you could get the, the response in code and see exactly what's happening. So the web itself is like a giant REST API in, in that people are submitting requests all the time and getting responses back. And that's why web APIs are called web APIs. I mean, the web follows this model. <clears throat> now, I was talking about like this, the many different types of APIs. And there was a recent survey by SmartBear. This is a big company that does all kinds of API management services. And they, they surveyed 3,300 developers to ask them, what kind of APIs are you most using? And they said REST APIs, 79%. OAS stands for Open API Specification. We'll get into that later, and Swagger is uh, kind of a synonym for it. SOAP, 54%. That's surprising. So many people are still using SOAP. Uh, <clears throat> REST, but not Open API Spec, 39%, so still REST APIs. Um, There's kind of a nuance there that I'm uh, not sure if everybody would interpret it the same, but basically REST is dominating this. The other types, XML, RPC, JMS, this is Java Messaging Service, so there's another API I haven't even really mentioned, GraphQL, IoT APIs, gRPC, and other. So, um, if you look at the landscape and you're trying to figure out which type of API should I focus on, it makes sense to focus on REST, but just be aware that there's a lot of other technologies out there. Is SOAP sort of a legacy format now? Kind of. Is it just being maintained? No, yeah, probably, probably. I mean, I, I would like to think of it as legacy, but still in many contexts, they want something more precise. And REST tends to be more of an architectural style rather than ex an exact protocol about how the content should be structured. So it's still still used, but I don't encounter it very much. So it could just be stuff in 2008. Oh, okay. But I don't I haven't seen a lot recently. I think my account is one. It could just be legacy stuff. I mean nobody wants to have so many different types of technologies. It just makes it so much more daunting, right? So hopefully people standardize. But even now there's a lot of question about GraphQL, like GraphQL and gRPC are huge. Um, and most of the APIs at Google, I think, are gRPC. Um, and, and GraphQL dominates Facebook. So you've got big tech companies kind of customizing the type of API that they want. gRPC APIs are super fast, and that's why Google uses them. Um, and, and the GraphQL, uh, <clears throat> in some ways, is simpler. You have one URL. You just have different queries on it, so I don't know. Um, but we're going to focus on REST. And one other graph here. This is from Programmable Web. <clears throat> this this site, if you've never been to Programmable Web, it's like the place to learn about 
what's going on in the API space, the web API space. They've been tracking web APIs since 2005. I think in 2005, one of the first APIs was eBay, where you have, let's say, hundreds of stores, hundreds of eBay stores. You want to manage your products across them all. We have an API that can kind of interface with that rather than having to log into some UI to manage them all. Anyway, you can see that they have grown exponentially. Um, like it's just on an upward trend. So this is this is only public APIs. Um, it's not even tracking. It's not even tracking like the internal unpublic APIs or private APIs that are probably ten times this this amount. Uh, but why why are so many of these APIs proliferating? It's basically because this is how the web works. It used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you would implement uh, a system that would have all the features you wanted. Now, when you implement something, you have a website. You grab services from a lot of different companies. If you want a newsletter, you're going to use Mailchimp. If you want um, payment processing, you use Stripe. If you want search, you use Algolia. If you want this, you use that and so forth. So you're pulling in like eight to 10 APIs to build your site. Companies realize this. So now literally you can type almost any company's name and add the word API and you find like that the, you find out that they have like API uh, documentation for their, for their company. Um, it's kind of mind blowing. I was just, uh, in a previous one, I said, even McDonald's has an API. And I was like, I don't really even know that. And then, and then later that week, I found a, a job advertisement first for an API writer for McDonald's to, to like do some kind of AI with, drive, with their drive-through product and stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, even McDonald's probably has, if it's not public, I'm sure they've got internal APIs. All right, so this, uh, this graph just shows you the, the way the web has transitioned. 2005, you've got a single stack, a Microsoft stack, SQL server and so forth, and it all kind of works together. 2015, 16, or today, you've got lots of different services, and they all have to sort of interact. Well, they interact through APIs. That's how they make their, their services available. <clears throat> so it's just a, a huge proliferation of different services, all just sort of intermingling. Uh, some people say that this, this creates like tremendous amounts of complexity because who tests how all these different systems are going to interact and the different combinations and uses, right? When you had a single system, you could, you could test to make sure that the use cases were, were vetted and tested from end to end. But now you've got 10 different services all just kind of like pulled together. Nobody's verifying and testing all that stuff, but all right. In this space, API, doc, API documentation is extremely high. This is another survey question from the same State of the API 2019. So this is fresh data from SmartBear. In your opinion, what are the top three most important characteristics you need in an, in an API? And complete and accurate documentation, or accurate and detailed documentation is number three. In 2016, it was still in the top five or six. Um, so it's, it's important. Um, ease of use, responsiveness, performance still seems to edge it out, but docs should be right up there in like a good quality API. Uh, there's a survey done a bit earlier 
by Programmable Web, their audience was only about 250 compared to the previous one, which had 3,300. But they found that complete and accurate docs were actually the most important for their audience. So either way, it ranks pretty high. Uh, and here's an even more startling, well, hold on. Yeah, okay. I'll, sorry, I'm jumping around. I'll come back to that one. A more startling statistic. They asked, SmartBear asked, how long has your organization been providing and developing APIs? Uh, basically, in the last 31% have only been developing APIs in the last three to five years. In the last six to 10 years, 18%. In the last 10 plus, 19%. Basically, a lot of companies are new to the space. Right? You've got all these companies who are suddenly freaking out that they have a new API that they have to develop. And they have no real like understanding about processes or how to do it. As a result, you will find many companies who have no clue about API documentation. Like they don't even understand kind of what's expected. You'll have a lot of engineers who create the API, but not really understand what good documentation is. It's a huge opportunity to exploit, right? Now, one last thing. Uh, this is a presentation from a conference called API the Docs, which is a, kind of like an open source conference or an open conference related to write the docs. But a person said something that I, I really like. She said, if your product is, if your API is the product, the documentation is the user interface. If you think about, um, step back a minute and think about traditional like user interfaces and the documentation. In those traditional contexts, the, the, the documentation was seen as a um, kind of a crutch, uh, like uh, a go-to manual in case everything else fails in the UI, right? And now a lot of people have shifted to UX writing because so much is going into the UI and that user manual just sort of stays, stays put. That's not the case in API documentation because there is no, no UI, right? Um, your product's UI, when you have an API, is the documentation. How you navigate those endpoints is kind of like the user interface. Um, and as such, the API documentation takes on this huge role. Suddenly you're basically the user interface designer for your company's product. Because um, this is how people navigate and figure out what to use. They don't have, like they can't just poke around a user interface and say, oh, I've figured it out on my own. Like they, it's not available. Okay, finally, uh, the job market is hot. Most, most of the people in my workshops are at existing companies, you know, but sometimes you're trying to level up or transition around um, and, and it is extremely hot. This is an ad that um, I pulled a while ago. It says, the client wants to find someone who will emulate Dropbox, Dropbox's developer documentation. Even gives a link to it. Um, and, <laughs> and, and this is, uh, this is symptomatic, or this is a perfect example of what people want. People are like developing an API, they're new to the space, they look at some big companies like Dropbox and they look at their docs, they look beautiful. They say, I need a tech writer who's gonna create and produce this, this site, right? So all of a sudden, you now have this added burden of creating literally a, a sexy user interface uh, for your content, um, which is why I have a whole section on publishing. Um, 
this, this whole kind of trend into API docs reflects a larger trend towards this more technical, technical writer. Because you've got to be able to navigate these API landscapes, the publishing domain, and be a good writer, right? You can't just neglect the way the content is written. That's still probably the most important part. You've got to bring it all together. All right, so that is sort of an introduction. And now I want to ask a few questions to get to know you. Um, so I'm going to go back to here. I have these little activities uh, that are in expandable sections. This first one is a group discussion. I want to know, why are you taking this course? What are your career ambitions related to this? Are you in a place where developer doc jobs are plentiful? Uh, what would you consider to be a success metric? That sounds so business jargony. What, what would make this course feel successful to you? And do you feel like you've got the mindset and the technical kind of expertise to excel in this field? Uh, so anybody want to share? Why, why are you taking this course? What brought you out here? What, are you trying to solve certain problems or what are your goals? Anybody? Yes. Because I'm new. Therefore, anybody probably had a bit more experience than I do. You know, so I'm Vince, been with Cisco Systems for eight years, Hitachi Data Systems five years, currently with Ingram Micro, e-commerce. E-commerce is much bigger on APIs than either of the other companies you hmm. know, or any of the previous employers that I've had. So uh, to be successful, I just uh, I need more uh, knowledge, need more skill, just more awareness. And already, you've already you know, hmm. brought me you know, a, a good distance here just with what you've said so far. Uh, so you're working I, I in... I can see API uh, documentation becoming a major part of my career in the hmm. future. Are you a tech writer? I'm a senior technical writer, okay. yes. Uh -huh. And you're, you're working more in the e-commerce space now? Is that what you're saying? Or are you just I noticing trends? I'm now working in the e-commerce space, yes. So hmm. there still, still is .NET software development going on. I think Micro has more than 30 websites, e-commerce websites, uh, throughout, the, throughout the world, and the API documentation is a part of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, Microsoft's got tons of APIs uh, available. I don't know if it's just part of Azure or, or what, but. Yeah, they, there's a lot of APIs in this space, so thanks for sharing. Anybody else? Yes, great. Yeah, um, first off, I'm really thankful to be here. Thanks. Thank you for this class. Yeah. Um, my name is Greg. Uh, I work at LinkedIn. And um, <clears throat> we do about a billion REST API calls a day uh, across like 800 services. Wow. And um, we're finally getting to a point where it's like, yeah, there's a gaping hole in our API documentation space. And um, basically, my boss wants me to scope it out and uh, find some resources and uh, what are the best practices. And I know some of this stuff, but not all of it, of course. And that's why I'm here. Um, a billion REST API calls a day? Yeah, each day. Uh, wow. Yeah. Is that from everybody who's like on LinkedIn? Is like, <laughs> find me. That's probably me this morning. Like, who are all these people in this class? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I can imagine like there's there's got to be so much logic on LinkedIn to try to like help people identify uh, who they're looking for, right? You're looking for a specific person. How many queries have to go on, and how many yeah. different systems have to interact to try to like you know triangulate this person with this skill set and this location is also looking, you know? And a lot <laughs> of the like request parameters and responses are 
Is it mostly REST APIs or is it a whole mix of different APIs? It's, it's the list that you presented primarily. Okay. Mostly REST. Okay. But there's, there's Java and Python and JavaScript APIs. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, I work at QAD as an enterprise useful planning software company with uh, Bridget here too. And um, so QAD has been uh, revamping its product architecture uh, recently. And that has also meant like exposing new types of APIs. And so they're heading in the direction of using REST APIs hmm. with Swagger. And the last, I, I have worked on API documentation before, but it was prior to 2005. So looking at your chart, I'm like, this is a new world. And uh, so we need to, uh, hmm. you know, get up to speed on all this stuff and, and to uh, help document it. They want to put together a developer.com type site, you know, mm. where, like all that information is out there and published, you know, even though they are using Swagger or plan to that, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot more to it than that. Like people are going to want a whole, like, like you're saying with, uh, you know, mm. the documentation becomes the user interface. They're going to want, how do I get yeah. started? What are great examples? It's not just show me the automatic wow. generated stuff, you know, like, so, so there's like this whole big picture. And so we're here to just learn. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're embarking on a cool new chapter, I guess, at your company with this whole developer portal and lots of APIs and a product transition. And and yeah, definitely like uh, the other docs that you're mentioning, the getting started and, and all this information about how to actually use the APIs is something that often gets neglected when people, especially in engineering circles, uh, because engineers will often write the reference docs, but the tech writers usually end up writing all that other stuff, the conceptual docs, how to actually use the APIs. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more that often uh, doesn't get the, the sort of spotlight. But then you've, you mentioned the whole developer portal too, and it, we'll touch upon this a little bit maybe in publishing, but um, you know that's another huge area because people have, people usually have you know, half a dozen different APIs. And you want to have a list of all your docs, and do you provide a search across them, or how do you navigate through them, and you know how do you present it in a way that's you know user friendly? So it's great. Anybody else want to share why you're you know taking this? And yes, Victor. Yeah, I'm uh, Victor. I'm, uh, I work with Adobe, uh, the enterprise software part of our company. Um, so. In the last years, I've been tasked with kind of maintaining our REST APIs, so I'm comfortable with, you know, editing uh, swag documentation, adding maybe a new uh, a new swagger method to our documentation. But I, I haven't really created a new documentation uh, page overall, which is what I'm tasked with doing right now. So we're um, we're at a point where we're launching some new services, which are API first. And uh, so we have some reference documentation. My task now is to create some tutorials on how to use all of this and how to accomplish specific tasks using these uh, API methods. So that's what I'm hoping to find out today, how to uh, structure uh, API tutorials. Yeah, this, uh, you bring up a great point and it's kind of echoing what Michael was saying about the, the other content besides the reference that needs to be covered. And the tutorials, I have a whole section here that we're going to cover on tutorials, but it's a, it's a tough one because if you think about, like, I'll get into this later, but basically uh, think about a, a 
kitchen scenario, you open your, your cupboard and you see lots of baking goods, your baking powder and your, your cornstarch, whatever, you, you can make a lot of different things with it. Same with an API, you've got a dozen endpoints, you could do tons of different things with it. Whereas with end user documentation, you have a specific user interface with a very specific workflow that is like, this is, this, this is the process. API docs is like, no, there's, there's 20 different ways you could use this. You, know, you could accomplish this in, in so many different ways. And so a lot of times developers will be like, you know, we don't want to dictate how they use our API, but then people are frustrated because there's no like, clear process through it. Anyway, all right, so uh, this is good to get started. Uh, anybody else want to share or should we keep going? Um, yes, Ernest. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Did you say Uganda? Uganda. Uh, is it, so I think a lot of people say Rwanda, but we're mispronouncing it. Oh. But there's another city in Africa Okay. Wanda. Awesome. Well, it's awesome that you're that you're here. And you know, I actually um, I was looking at my metrics on my blog a while ago, and like I didn't have hardly any hits from Africa. So it's cool that you've got like you're an engineer, you're you're building technical things, and you're you're uh, going to take back information or I don't know, do cool things. All right. Um, We've been talking at a high level conceptually, and now we're going to get a little hands-on, right? Because, uh, and this is a fun part, because now we're going to jump into some tools that might be new, might not. But I think that it's helpful in order to really understand how to write for a developer audience to temporarily put on a developer hat and pretend to be a developer and see kind of what needs they have. Right, so you're going to use an API like a developer might uh, and just do some quick uh, requests. Now our scenario is this. Let's say that your manager comes to you and says, I want you to build an app that will kind of uh, have the latest wind condition. Let's say you work in a, in a bike shop and understanding the wind and the temperature and the direction is super important to your cyclists. So Let's say that uh, in order to promote our, our you know, merchandise and our other service, we're going to add a really handy feature in the apps that will tell cyclists exactly what the weather's like outside in terms of the wind and where they're going. Right? So now you as a developer are scrambling. You're thinking, man, how am I going to get the temperature and the wind and the direction? What am I going to do? Um, and here's a, here's a sample implementation kind of, of what, what we're going to sort of build. Let's say that your app uh, has a little button that says check wind conditions. You click it and bam, this, this cyclist can know exactly where the, where the wind is 
and exactly what the temperature is outside. What is that, Kelvin? <laughs> <laughs> Wind direction. No, that's direction. So that's not temperature. Oh. Temperature is right up here. Yeah, uh, the, but, but you bring up a good point because the API we're using is not going to be that good. Um, but does, does anybody else here bike to work? Okay, so you know that if like you go out and there's a super strong headwind, it's not really that much fun to bike. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is the, sorry, the, the basic implementation just looks like this, but we could very well uh, ex expand on this and make some kind of fancy implementation. If you go to Yahoo Weather or something, you see all this, you know, graphics and detail. It still doesn't look that great, but I'm saying all, all of this is powered by API calls to weather service APIs as well, and it's just styled in a way that looks fancy. How do we choose our API? Well, there are probably 20 different weather APIs, and uh, I've, I've chosen one called Open Weather Map that we'll use. This API is stable, it doesn't break, it tends to work, and it has people who are actually employed there. So um, it was good enough. Previous weather APIs I've chosen have broken and been abandoned. So, all right, first thing we're gonna do, um, to activity 2A, explore the weather map API. So go to that workshop page uh, that I was telling you about. If you forgot how to get to it, just go to idratherbewriting.com. Here, I'll do that again. Uh, if you're at idratherbewriting.com, click API documentation course, then click workshop slash workshop, and then we're down here at explore open weather map API. Yeah, it, uh, <clears throat> we're gonna be on this page a lot, so you can probably bookmark it if you want. Um, we'll do this one together. Go to open weather map and click API in the top navigation. And the first task that you'll do here is um, you're going to evaluate whether this API has information you need for your scenario, for our scenario. So you can see here that they've got a lot of different APIs. Current weather data, hourly forecast, even climate forecast. I bet this one is just depressing. Uh, just kidding. Historical weather and so forth. Click this very first option, current weather data API doc and kind of browse it to just see if it has the information we need about temperature, wind, and general conditions. <clears throat> you can see here that the way this API works is that you've got different, different, approach, different ways to call, the, to, sorry, to specify the location city name or city ID or ge geographic coordinates. Uh, and then they've got some sample requests, zip code and so forth. So what, what a developer would do is come and look to see if the information that you need is in some of these requests. So this first task is just kind of seeing if it's got the information. If you're just looking at this request right here, this JSON, do you think it has the information we need for this Scenario. Yeah, you got wind here. You got temperature, which, as Mark pointed out, 282.55. Probably needs to be converted. 
Uh, you, you even have a feels like option. You've got degrees of the wind and so forth. So yeah, it, it generally has this information that we're looking for. Yeah. So those are responses that you just looked at? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, this documentation is, is not necessarily how I would organize it, but you know, um, as you browse different doc sites, you'll find that so many people do them differently. They're, you won't find two the same. It's kind of odd, but... Who do you think does a really good consistent job in the API documentation? Uh, yeah, we, we'll jump into that later. I think um, definitely some people hold up Stripe and Twilio and, and uh, some others. Yeah, I heard that Dropbox is really <laughs> 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 Those are like um, the top three I keep hearing. <clears throat> Twitter, like uh, uh, a lot of the big tech companies do a great job. Microsoft, like Microsoft's pretty good. I love their system. They've got a huge ecosystem of things. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, but we'll come back to that because uh, that, that is a question we get. And we're going we're gonna to, specifically in the conceptual topics, we're going to look and deep dive into lots of different APIs. In this, in this particular one, you can see example responses when you click a lot of these links. Um, I've got a little JSON formatter extension, otherwise it'll be minified, but you can kind of click through these in this API. All right, so it has the information that we want, and uh, we've seen some samples. So now, the sec let's move on to activity 2B. Get a, an open weather map API key, because you're not going to be able to make a request without an API key. Um, I was hoping most people could have signed up for this and gotten an API key ahead of time. Yeah. Um, raise your hand if you already have an API key. Great. If you do not have one, then scroll down here to uh, the bottom of step four, and there's a link that says if you don't have an API key, grab one listed here. Um, you can also, of course, just sign up for an API key. The problem is it takes like an hour for them to activate it for some reason. So you can just grab one of these. I've, I've sort of come prepared with many options. Okay, now let's move on to activity 2C. Make requests with Postman. All right, now we get to jump into our favorite tool for making requests. Just kidding. There are lots of different options here, by the way. Uh, if you don't like Postman, there's one called Paw. It's a Mac client, beautiful, uh, works well. There's one called Insomnia, Insomniac, can't remember. Um, there's requests that are built into your browser, like little extensions that are built into your browser. But Postman is, is one that has a lot of traction, in part because it's free. Uh, it does a lot more than just make a request. At any rate, if you don't have Postman, download it, and then open it up. And you're going to make a request with uh, this API, all right? So this is, this is our first activity, and I'll, I'll make sure everybody has time to do this one. I know we've kind of been jumping through the other ones. Open up Postman and, and just let it launch until you see an interface. Um, <clears throat> oops. Until you see an interface that looks, oops, like what I'm showing up here. Uh, Cancel all these screens. Okay. Should look somewhat like this. Is everybody, is anybody stuck on this step? Okay. Mine looks a little different. 
Looks a little different. It's, like, it's, it's a save request dialog box after I went to new request. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I'll come around here in a minute. Um, but maybe maybe you're just on a welcome screen. There's a welcome tab. Maybe maybe that's it. Anyway, I'll I'll get to you in a minute if if it doesn't oh, no. come no, into focus. Yeah, tab. All right. Uh, step number four. Number four. Insert this endpoint. This is just from their documentation. Just kind of streamlining things into the main box right there. All right. This is. This is the base URL path with uh, the weather endpoint. This first part right here, by the way, can you see this? Do I need to zoom in or is this good enough? Okay. All APIs, all REST APIs have kind of a base path and then all the different endpoints are just like the end path that you put on here. In this case, whoops, in this case the, the end path or endpoint is called weather. Some people just call that path. Some people have different names for it. But uh, generally, as long as you tell somebody what the base URL is, they just start adding these endpoints end or paths onto it. Now, there are three different uh, parameters that we have to configure before we're going to get a response. All right? And they're listed here in step five. Zip, units, and app ID. So right under, underneath this box where you've pasted your URL, You've got params, authorization, headers, body. The params tab refers to query parameters. We'll, we'll get more into what types of parameters are available and so forth. But for now, just type the first parameter, zip, and then whatever zip code you want. Probably, probably like 95050 or someplace local. I don't know if it will if it will get Rwanda. We'll see. I don't know what zip code would be in Rwanda, so you might you might run into different experience there. Uh, <clears throat> the next one was, what did I say? Units. So units is a parameter, and you can write imperial. Um, this is going to give standard sort of American values or metric, whatever you want. And then finally, app ID. This is where you're going to specify your API key. <clears throat> All right, so uh, again, if you don't have an API key, you can grab one from different area, you can make like 60 calls in a minute, so it's not a big deal to use the same one. When you've got these three parameters configured, you'll notice that, it, that they're dynamically appended to your request URL with a little question mark. Right? This little question mark marks the start of all query parameters uh, for your request. Click Send, and then below in the body, you should get a response that actually has data in it. Uh, if you don't get, if you get unauthorized or something, check to make sure you have the app ID parameter. Tom, what did you say about the question mark? Uh, so, this little question mark, from this point on, all these are query parameters. If you had parameters before this, they would be called path parameters. We'll explore that um, when we dive into parameters, but that's basically the type of parameters. There are, there's also another type of parameter called a request body parameter that you would enter in the, into the um, body part right here, but this doesn't really have it. Is, that, is the app ID used for authentication? Yeah. Or is it used yeah. for routing of, uh, Authentication. Um, I mean, let's say that I'm a 
a malicious user and I want to just like, you know, bring down their service. So imagine if they didn't have an, a an API key, I could just like do a DDoS attack and do a million like requests at them. They wouldn't be able to stop, right? But with this approach, they could just turn off my API key and, and like So there's no REST API deflect. that doesn't use an app Pretty much. Only very, very simple read-only APIs might not. But yeah, they pretty much all have they have some kind of authorization method. Now, whether that's an API key or a different method, we'll get into later. There, there are several different types, OAuth, HMAC, API keys, basic auth, but this is a very common one. If you're in a financial industry, a lot of times you'll pass or, or a different, more regulated sort of uh, more secure place, they will pass this in the header, which you would enter here in the headers tab, you know. But you could actually just take the same URL and remember how I said the web follows REST? Uh, you could just paste this and your browser will render all the data too, right? It'll be minified, but <clears throat> Postman lets you do more complex things. All right, so uh, who's getting stuck? Anybody want me to come and try to troubleshoot to see uh, why your request might not be working or is everybody's request working? This is the part where I frantically go around and find out that people have security things on their machines that don't let any outbound calls go. Yes, okay. No. I want this down at the bottom. Oh. It came to the side and I'm like, no, it's, I, it's easier to read down at the bottom. How do I? Huh. I was looking and I was like, okay, usually you can right click and then it says move to the bottom, or, but it's not doing it. So I'm like, oh, do I have to sit somewhere? Uh, I actually I don't know. What about, what about that guy? Does that do anything? I actually don't know. No, that's hide sidebar. What's, what's the next? I, hmm, I don't know. I'm sorry, but it doesn't seem to be a deal breaker. But <laughs> okay, yes. Let's say if you want to add more query parameters, and yeah. see how to do it. Uh, key, okay, hold on. Um, oh, but you did get a response. How come the query parameters, I don't see like the key value. What happens when you click key value edit? Yeah, okay. Oh, so you're just entering them freeform. Okay. You want to add more? You just You can just like keep adding them down there. Defining it, you give only the name. Uh, let's say I want what. Let's say I have. Uh, this is for weather. Let's say if it's for SMS. So I have let's, another parameter. Any other? Let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then you would then and then type a value and you'll see it get added there as another query parameter. Postman is just making it easier for easier for you to enter this. Like you can also just construct the the URL manually. Um, and you, you have how to get the parameters. How to get them or how to like yeah you, you I mean the API has to offer that parameter right like um, can't just like add make them up. You have to like know what ones are available. But, but yeah, you just add them there. Do you have? All right. Uh, okay. Anybody, has everybody been successful? You've got a response? Great, okay.
So you'll notice there are a lot of different little features here, and I've only sort of cracked the surface, um, but we will jump <clears throat> more into this later. Uh, there is, okay, wow. Ah, okay, I did want to call out one more thing. One of the things that people love about Postman is the collections uh, feature. So you can actually save your collection. I think this is, yeah, this is actually part of the same activity here. Uh, let's say that you, you have this request, you really like it, and you want to save it to run it later. Or let's say you want, to, you want to save like eight different varieties. Let's say you have zip codes in different continents and you're doing a lot of testing. If you hit save over here on the right, you're prompted with an option to save the request. Oh, this is the screen you were telling me. Yes, this is, yeah. Let's call this, um, I don't know, LA request and sample description, whatever. Uh, and then scroll down a little bit. You can create a collection. A collection is simply a folder to store your requests. So I'll call this API workshop. Click the little orange link. And now you can save it in, in there. The collections appear on the sidebar which you can toggle by clicking this little button here. Um, but now you've got, you've got a request saved. You can see I've got a lot of saved requests over here from different, different things I've tried out. Um, but here's, here's the reason why Postman is awesome. In fact, somebody just sent me at work like a whole Postman file. Let's say you're an engineer and you've got an API that has like a dozen requests and you've been refining them and adding parameters and you know, you've, you've basically been specking out your API you want to share this with somebody, right? You want to give this whole file to somebody. You can just give them the collection. Um, let's see, I'm not exactly sure where you export the collection. Oh, share collection. Yeah. So you can share the collection with somebody and then they can import all of this directly into their system. You can also uh, embed a little button that says run in Postman. A user clicks it and it pulls all this information into their local. Uh, their local version of Postman, which is great if you're trying to get them, you know, trying out your API. Now the user can, can go to town. They can start customizing the parameters. They can do all kinds of things. But the ability to save requests is somewhat unique in, at least in <coughs> different request GUI clients like this. And so it's, uh, it's, it works well. Any questions about Postman? Yeah. So the purpose of using Postman is to test the API and make sure that the values that you're yeah. setting up for testing work correctly. Why am I using Postman? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly that. I mean, um, as I said in the start, the, the essence of API documentation is requests and responses. So your main task as a technical writer is to document what requests are available and what comes back. If I were documenting this, um, I would want to know exactly what parameters are available and what comes back here in the response. I would, I would document each of these properties. Uh, but then I would also try to break it, right? Like what happens if I put in um, ABC here, you know? There's a lot of things you can start to do to play around with this. Now I've got an, a message error code that I should document, right? And now I know some more things about the data constraints. This has to be some kind of integer, right? Uh, so it gives you an opportunity to start playing around with it. But if, if you ever find yourself in a, in a shop where engineers just hand you all the information on a wiki page and say, just publish this, you know, always push back against that. You know that, right? Everybody knows that. You've got to test things to make sure that what we say matches what actually happens. You will probably find 
that engineers will have a lot of this information on some wiki page, like our sample request. But the wiki page may be out of date or they may be sloppy. And uh, <clears throat> for example, in the request, maybe, they, maybe they'll uh, camel case something that isn't camel cased or, or they'll spell something differently or they won't even, you know, it won't match. So there's an accuracy purpose. Yeah, in fact, part of the fun thing about REST APIs is that they're so easy to test. Like, if you have a Java API and you want to try to test a class, you've got to have a whole like sample Java app or project, or at least more code to test it. Here, you just have a URL. You're just basically hitting send, and you get back the response, and you can see if it works. Um, and if you do nothing more than the sort of document the requests and the responses, it's, it's uh, might meet these sort of requirements that, that people might have for the documentation. Let's say it's a really simple API. Maybe people can figure it out from the requests and the responses. Any other Postman thoughts, questions? Yeah. So um, we have a guy on our team who, is, who said he was using Postman to, I guess, make some of the code samples instead of just curl to be able to convert them into whatever programming language someone uses. And he says he was using Postman for this purpose. But I don't quite see. Wow. You're like totally that. giving us a segue into our next activity. <laughs> you are. Yes. Right OK. All right. So we're uh, jumping down here. I for that like, button or whatever. You can see it. So. Well, why don't we, while we're still in Postman, um, <clears throat> we're going to jump down to activity 2D, make requests with curl. All right, so let's, and curl, you can think of curl just like another language of your request. Um, you've got this request in Postman. Now you want to have the same thing in curl. How do you do that? Well, this is where Postman really rocks. Underneath the save button, and you might need to scroll up on the right to see it because it, it will it'll be hidden, is this little link called code. Click that and you should get a pop-up that shows you the same request that you've just constructed in Postman in different options. And you want to choose see URL. Uh, curl is kind of confusing me because there's a lib curl and there's a C URL and people write it all lowercase too. But uh, click the curl and you should see your requests formatted in curl. We'll also explore the JavaScript one later, but um, do you, do you all, are you all able to find this? Right under, cool. right under save, click code, then click curl. Yes. Does, your, does your code have, does it look like this or does it have a bunch of H parameters? It all looks like this? Okay. Postman used it, Postman used to insert a bunch of like custom headers and they took that out and I just wanted to make sure that. Uh, yeah, I do have that. Oh, you do? Those are, oh, so you can do headers too. Yeah, hey, will you do me a favor? Uh, go, to, go to Postman, check for updates, and see if there's an update on yours. All right, so uh, this gets us into curl. Nice. And before we just uh, make the curl requ request, let me introduce curl a little bit. Um, yeah, sorry to make you jump. No, 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 that, we're headed that way. Uh, all right, so one sec. Got, got a little lost here. Although Postman is, is pretty handy, right, for making your own requests, um, 
it's actually more common in your documentation to show the request formatted as, as curl. Hold on. There we go. Uh, curl, it's like a command line utility that allows you to submit requests, web, web requests, over the command line. And uh, basically, um, once you install curl, you open up a command line, your terminal or command prompt or even PowerShell, and you type curl, and then you have some parameters, and then you pass in the, the re request URL. And it looks something like this. Um, here we have the parameter. This, this specifies uh, what type of operation we're performing, in this case, a get operation, and the URL. There's really not much more to it. Um, in Postman, it adds, sorry if I come back here to the code, it adds location. Uh, this is just a parameter that says if the URL is a redirect, so submit the request at the redirect as well. Um, but it's the same, same format. <clears throat> now, some common commands you will find in curl. Curl actually has hundreds of commands. It's like, it's very, it's a very robust tool. Uh, the most common ones you will probably see, I mentioned the location one just because Postman is inserting that, but I don't really see that too often. The most common ones are the method. Um, <clears throat> they're different. I'm going to explain methods more later, but basically this maps to the CRUD stuff, uh, the create, re uh, rewrite, update, delete. Um, I feel like I missed the R there. Read. Read. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so in, in, in the REST API space, basically the most common methods are get, which is like read, or delete, right, which is the same, update, put, it's like what you're doing with the, the data. <clears throat> You've got some other options though. You could add a dash I to include the response headers, which I'll give an example of. D, uh, let's say you're, you're creating something and you have a whole giant request body of hundreds of lines, you could store that in a file, refer to it that way. Or dash H, this is uh, submitting parameters in your header. All right, so one other thing is the responses that are coming back, you notice that uh, they were formatted in JSON. If you've never seen JSON, it's basically curly braces and angle brackets. The curly braces <coughs> identify an object and the, the angle brackets identify an array. An object is just key value pairs, and the array is just a list of things. Mark? That come out of the XML heavy, so I, I would call those brackets, or square brackets, angle oh. brackets. Are oh, like, sorry, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. square, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, angle brackets would be markup stuff. Uh, yeah, square brackets. The, the responses can also mix these. You can have like an object that contains arrays. You can have arrays that contain objects. So it's kind of a mixture of this. But by and large, JSON, which stands for JavaScript Object Notation, it's kind of like JavaScript's language, uh, how, they, how they structure things. Um, <clears throat> it, it consists of these two data types. All right, so let's make a request with curl. Uh, this is activity 2D, and you're going you're gonna to start in Postman, click the code, copy the curl code sample, go to your terminal. Uh, if you're on a Mac, you can type terminal, or if you've got iTerm, or, or if you type 
CMD if you're on Windows. Open it up. I'm going to use iTerm because it's got a nice black background. <clears throat> I'll increase that and paste it in. Now you'll notice something. Uh, Postman needs to make an update for Windows users. You can tell that they're using Macs. Uh, when you hit re return, it's returning that same information, just minified. If you try this on Windows, you'll notice that you probably get an error. You just have to make the single quotes into double quotes. So take the, the single quote, convert it into a double quote. Oh, really? Quotation mark, yeah. Oh, and, and it will work. And, and that will work just the same way in a Mac too. So I don't know why they didn't just develop it like that from the start. Right. Now, also on Windows, you will sometimes see um, curl requests with backslashes to, to make the parameters readable. You know, let's say we had some parameter, whatever, and backslashes like this. Uh, this is a convention that will work on a Mac, but on Windows, you're going to have to bring everything onto the same line. In this case, you don't actually have backslashes. I'm just telling you differences between Windows and Mac. So. See if you can paste the curl request into your command line and get a response. And if you haven't installed curl, um, if you're on, it's by default it's on um, Mac. But <clears throat> if you have not installed it, there's a site to install it called Confused by Code. Um, con <laughs> sorry, con confusedbycode.com. Uh, where it makes it really easy to install. It's just like you download it and install it. The with administrator privileges free, 64-bit is usually what you'd want. All right, I'll, I will help uh, troubleshoot anybody who is uh, not able to get the curl requests. So raise your hand if you, if you submit it and it's not working. And I'll try to see. Or has everybody already got it working? This will be a first, honestly. No. Curl, curl has been my nightmare forever. Because <laughs> Windows, Windows used to not come with curl pre-installed, and later versions started to come with it pre-installed, but not every version has it. So, so the backslashes are just for readability, is that right? Yeah. And they're, they're ignored by curl if you try and... They're ignored by, by at least the Mac experience with curl. On Windows, it, 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 it chokes on them, I believe. Although, if you're in PowerShell, I think it treats it differently. And there's different, like, like you could install git bash on Windows, which might treat it more Mac-like. But um, yeah, they, they, could, they could interfere with readability. I was actually, I had this scenario just this last week. Um, I was documenting a command line utility, CLI. And one of, this, one of the functions had like seven parameters, right? And if, if it was just all jumbled, it looks like that minified code. It's hard to read. So I just separated them out on different lines, put backslashes, makes it very clear these are all the parameters. But as a drawback, it's not going to be as copy and pasteable on a Windows machine. So, But it's sort of a convention in the field. You'll find that most people do the backslashes. So nobody's had any trouble with curl. You all raise your hand if you, if you were successful in getting the curl. Wow, this is great. OK. <laughs> Well, making progress. In LA, you know? <laughs> okay, now we'll move on to the. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sure we're going to struggle with something else. Okay, we're, we're going to go on to the last activity in this section, activity 2E, and then we'll have a break. Okay, this one, uh, this one has given more people trouble. And so I've tried to simplify it. 
so it's essentially a copy and paste job. Um, but I did make it a little, a little more involved. So you're going to first use a text editor, right? When I say text editor, I, I don't mean Word. I don't mean anything that's going to inject anything behind the scenes where you, you don't just have raw plain text. Sublime Text, Atom, Visual Code Studio, this kind of thing, right? Notepad++. You're going to come in in activity 2E here. And what we're going to do in this activity, <clears throat> instead of making a request through curl, you're going to use JavaScript to make the request on a web page. And we're going to go one step further. On that web page, we're going to return and print a specific value. If you remember, our initial design scenario is an app that shows the temperature and the wind speed. So we're going to just do the bare bones where we have the wind speed appearing on a web page through a call using JavaScript, specifically a function in jQuery called Ajax. Okay, so first step, you're going to copy this boilerplate code here. All this is is HTML. Um, HTML that has a reference to jQuery so that we can use the Ajax function. All right, so copy that into a text file. And you can save this as maybe something called weather.html. Uh, <clears throat> make sure you save it with a .html extension because otherwise the Chrome browser or Firefox, whatever, is not going to read it as, as a web page. All right, I'll give people minute there to copy that. Yeah, this is 2E on the workshop page. I used to print out um, booklets and then people told me it just is useless because you have to copy and paste code anyway. So, it's like, okay, so we're copying. Yeah, you're going to copy this chunk of code right here into a text file and save it as an HTML extension with something like weather.html. Okay, step two, uh, you're going to go back into Postman and remember this little <clears throat> nifty code generation feature. You're going to click code again, but instead of copying the curl code snippet, scroll down to JavaScript jQuery and copy this snippet instead. All right. And with this code snippet, paste it into your file in the place where it says Postman code goes here. This, I'll explain this script in a minute, but I don't want to get lost in the details here of the process. So uh, this basically has your request URL. It even includes your, your API key and everything, app ID, your parameters. And it's, you'll see there's an Ajax function, right? I'll explain that in a minute. Um, there's one more thing you need to do. All right, this is the last step. Uh, if you are following along here, step, step five, okay? Because this is gonna make a request, but now we wanna do something with the information. It's not enough to just, you know, make the request. We wanna print the wind speed on the page. So copy the little chunk of code in step five, uh, right after console.log response. So it looks like this. And that's, that's the extent of the edits to make. Okay. Sorry, I was a little, yeah, I yeah. So you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna right under console.log response, hit return, and paste uh, that little snippet there. 
<clears throat> so then there's like a, after what I pa pasted, there's a curly brace. Yeah, normal. yeah. Okay, cool. Put it inside that. So, all right, save that, and now open up Chrome or whatever browser you like, and then hit Command or Control O to locate a local file. You know, for some reason, uh, there's no file menu on Chrome anymore. So, mm -hmm. Command O, Control O, locate your weather file and open it, and it should have the wind speed. Yes. <clears throat> like I said, this is one of the more challenging activities. This is why it's the last one in this section. Uh, so we'll see if where people, people are running into errors. Really? Yeah, I think it doesn't like that. Are you uh, in Chrome? The web page is on my machine here, and I am getting a cores request, not HTTP, hmm. um, in the console. Interesting. All right. I put it are, on my website and probably work. Are you uh, are you in Chrome? Or what browser are you in? Uh, this one is. Um, this one is Firefox. I'll try it in Chrome. Yeah, try it in Chrome, because uh, uh, that's interesting. I thought... I'll try that. Yeah, mine works in Firefox, too, huh? Well... From Origin Uh-oh, Origin Okay. Uh, let me take a look at the code that you've got there, because I'm kind of curious now. Yeah. I haven't. I didn't think this would prompt so this, a cores issue. This is the error. It does say from origin null. That's a bad sign. I don't know what that means. It's trying to do something. I don't know. Can, can you show me the source code? Yeah. So I pasted your thing. Okay. Yeah, you got it all right. It's just um, and this is uh, this go this little snippet we pasted in here goes inside of this yeah, Ajax yeah, call, right? Yeah. yeah, you've got it right. I don't know why it's doing that for you. Um, Does anybody else? Does yours work? Right. Oh, interesting. No, so, who who's got it working? And you're on Windows? Yeah. Uh, I'm on a Mac. She's on Windows. Yeah. Weird. For some reason, it's not working on Mark's machine. <laughs> huh. Can't figure out why. Yep. I get the page, but not the speed value. Okay. All right. Interesting. And you, what about... Uh, let me see. I put it in the right spot. Yeah, you got it in the right spot. Mark was having the same trouble, so I'm a little confused. If you go to... Um, if you hit command command option J to open up the JavaScript console, uh, cannot read property speed of undefined. Oh, you are actually getting the request back. You're getting a different error. It's working. It's just not querying. Can you go to your code again? Um, oh, remove this um, little little dollar sign right there. 
Oh, actually, actually, no, you know what? No, my bad. That, sorry. Uh, I have no idea. Sorry. It looks, it looks correct, so I don't know why. Here, but some, okay, so a couple people, it's not working. I don't really know why. Some people, it is working. Uh, oh. Huh. The label should be user space license. Has my screen always been cut off like that and I just didn't realize it? How they get there. People got to tell me. Okay. Um, whether you, su you were successful or not, uh, <clears throat> there's one more task I want you to do, and it's to open up something called the JavaScript console. If you go to view, developer, JavaScript console, view, developer, JavaScript console, uh, I think it's pretty much the same Mac and Windows. It'll open up a section down here that will show the object. Now, if you come back to the code here that we were showing earlier, <clears throat> you notice how we had a console.log and then we logged the response there? That means we are taking, okay, let me step through this code a little bit. This, this Ajax method is going to pass in the settings that we define here, the URL, the method, the timeout, and it's gonna go make the request. And when it gets that response back, it's gonna push it into this thing called response. Now with this response, when we do console.log, we are putting that, that whole response right into the JavaScript console. You can see it when you expand here. You've got the whole object of what's come back. This, uh, this makes it available on the web page, and a developer can then access any of these values he or she wants. We've just accessed the wind speed, but you could work with the whole thing if you wanted. Um, and this sort of speaks to another point about API design. You want to give people just the amount of information they need, not too much and not too little. But uh, <clears throat> the other part of the code, okay, so once we've once the, the response comes back and we logged it to the console, we wanted to pull out the wind speed. So we use something called JavaScript object notation, where, where you just put a dot after each level in this hierarchy, response.wind.speed. Um, right here, you can see wind is one level down and then speed, and then we act, that accesses the value there. Now the point of this is not really to get into JavaScript, I'm just sort of explaining what's happening. And then we use this function in jQuery called append to put that value on an element on the page. Um, whether JavaScript is even relevant is sort of beyond the point. I was just trying to show how you would like make use of a response from an API. Um, a front-end developer would use a variety of methods, uh, but this is one that you could use. How many people, just so I know, how many people didn't get it working because for whatever reason the wind speed didn't appear? Just three? Four? Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, you did get it working. Okay. So a few. And Mark has a weird error, can't figure it out. I think if you, sometimes different machines have security restrictions or some other restrictions that are hard to troubleshoot. Um, and he was getting a weird cores error, uh, which 
is often the case when you show something local that's corresponding with something online. Anyway, um, that is using an API like a developer. And that brings us to the end of this section. All right, so now we, we have about 15 minutes. Uh, we're gonna take a break. Go ahead and grab more food, coffee, go to the bathroom, whatever. We'll, we'll resume at 10.45 and we'll get into documenting API endpoints.